welcome to Subderbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Detective Pikachu. But, but Buddy, before we do that, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. And I guess in a certain sense, we are cheating a little bit this week because we're talking about a movie that is based on a game. We, te- we, we try and cover as many of the video game movies um, that come out, you know, in this sort of space that we can. I feel like Detective Pikachu is right there. It is the, it is like the perfect, you know, giant blockbuster video game franchise set to make a giant blockbuster movie franchise. Yeah, no, it's 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 you know, incredibly popular. It's uh, uh, what uh, it's it's. Right on the heels of the Detective Pikachu game, which was a thing that I, I didn't play, but, you know. Yeah. P- like, you know, it P- – or Pokemon, not Pikachu, but Pokemon is a thing that is kind of like a multimedia empire almost. Like, it's grown outside of the bounds of the original video games in such a way mm. that, like, this makes sense. This isn't the first Pokemon movie. Um uh, the first Pokemon movie was, in fact, called The First Pokemon Movie, because I guess they were prescient enough to know there would be a lot of I saw of them. that movie in theaters. Oh, I did, too. We were in, like, what, <laughs> middle school when that happened? I was, like, nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and I was super excited to see it, right? There was nothing else in the world that I wanted than to see, you know, the first Pokemon movie. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Detective Pikachu because I think it lays out um, kind of like a path or like a framework, right, um, for how to make a video game movie kind of like work, if that makes sense, um, in a way that we haven't necessarily seen before, which is uh, which is really cool, I guess. Yeah, so before we get to spoiler territory, uh, buddy, what are your kind of like... Uh, top level impressions of the movie. Uh, the movie, I, uh, hmm. Okay. That's an interesting, um, would you like my opinion so you can, for, uh, gather yes. your thoughts? I, ha- I have a, I have a very like complicated. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to say this movie is good. I don't think it's great. It's, um, how do I want to put this? It's a good kids movie. Um, it's basic, right? Yeah. Yeah, like it is. It is relatively simple. Not like not everything is the is the best it could be. Right? Like it's not like there there's some flaws in the movie, but it is perfectly servable as a children's movie. Um, and uh, also, so so this this is an interesting thing to me is that this is the first like a, a lot of children's programming has jokes for the adults essentially, um, and there are jokes in this movie that. I think are specifically targeted at adults who are, are like they're our age, right? Like they're like kind of like jokes that reference the Pokemon source material that yeah. might go over like a kid's head, but definitely hit people like our age. And um, it'd be like it'd be like if the new the next Star Wars movie comes out with like a whole bunch of like prequels ephemera in it. Do you right. know what I mean? Where yeah, it's like yeah. who is the, you know like. It doesn't. It it we we're not used to getting this kind of fan service. I guess I would say in a movie, right? Like it is a it is very much a kids movie in that it is structured like a kids movie. You know, like the characters um, have like the character interactions are all basic kids movie character interactions, but the characters themselves are actually much more um, in an archetype of like 
young millennials, which I thought was very interesting. You know, like this wasn't like a kids movie which was using kind of like an evergreen format, I would say, for its characters. Like these characters are specifically tapping into something of like the millennial condition, if that makes sense. Um, And of course, there are plenty of kids movies that have like that that focus on adults, right? Um, You know, but like they tend to be more like archetypal where I felt like this movie was much more specific, you know, to being to being like my my personal experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is, you know, there's a dual audience, right? Like there are people like you and me who are going to go see this movie anyway because it is, you know, hits the nostalgia strings. Um, And I think there's also an aspect of it that's like um, people our age are starting to have children, right? And so uh, the there there is normally in this type of media jokes aimed at the adults. Usually, it's like innuendo that the kids won't quite get, but will make the adults chuckle. Um, And like some of those jokes were of that format, but in a way that only somebody kind of like of our generation would get the joke, right? Like I I think the uh, uh, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but um, uh, Pikachu singing the original cartoon theme song, I think, is kind of in this in this vein, right? Like, I don't think it's the same theme song anymore for the for the show. And that's something that's no, it's that, not. that's like aimed squarely at like our generation. I think it works on both kind of like you know millennials who are going to see this movie on their own and like parents of young kids now who who will be like, you know, I get that reference. I remember this from my childhood, even though I'm not playing video games anymore. That that type of thing. Yeah, this is also um, uh, another piece of this is that this is like the perfect archetype that I talk about all the time, which is like a movie that is good, but like has low ambition, right? Yeah. I actually don't think I would say it is the best video game movie. I think Warcraft for me is still probably better, which is interesting because Warcraft is more flawed um, but I think it tries a lot harder than Detective Pikachu uh, does, and so that and it gets a lot of credit from someone like me for, you know, for like really going going for broke. Um, and I also think that you know, like we'll probably talk about like a Warcraft. I I was constantly thinking about Warcraft the entire time I was watching this movie for some reason. I haven't seen Warcraft in three years, right? But like I just couldn't get it out of my head. Um, I, I think if I was gonna split the hair on it, I'd say that. Warcraft is a better movie for video game players, right? Or, or, you know, specifically fans of Warcraft, right? It is worse for general audience, whereas Pikachu... Oh, see, okay, that's interesting. I actually think Warcraft is a little bit worse than... Well, we should get into this in the spoiler sex, uh, section of things. Um, but uh, my overall impression is that Detective Pikachu is a pretty... You know, it's a serviceable movie. It is not the... the my big... My big thing, and maybe this is a little bit of my expectations, those trailers oversold, right? And it's still good, right? But those trailers were showing me something that was, like, A material, and it's, like, you know, B material, if that makes sense, right? It is uh, it is not the kind of, like, knockdown blowout that I was uh, not expecting, but, like, that the trailers seemed to portray it as um and so i would say like you know if you are the the kind of person who saw those trailers and was really blown out of the water by this movie you might want to like tamper your expectations a little bit (laughs) yeah i I think i can agree with that um and again i will i will add that i think a lot of that comes from the fact that you know i sat down and watched this movie and you know as as it was playing was like oh right this is a children's movie for children of course it's not going to be like 
Deadpool or whatever, right? Like, I, I, I yeah, think, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. it's at, at some level we're spoiled because a lot of things that historically would have been called children's movies um, are not anymore, right? Like, superhero movies are for squarely adults at, at some level, right? Or at least, like, you know, not kids, right? Like, teens and young adults <clears> and, and whatever. And that's yeah, like, I mean, I, I've, I've read about um, kind of – there's, like, an overall understanding of the industry that you kind of have, like – uh, you know, kids like targeted kids movies that adults don't mind seeing, and then like targeted adults movies that kids don't mind seeing. Like a Marvel movie is like a targeted adult movie that a kid doesn't like that doesn't mind seeing, right? Adult in the sense of like teenager and up, right? Whereas Pixar movies, right, or Kung Fu Panda or something like that is a targeted kid movie that you know, yeah, sure, you're, you're gonna get me in the seat for How to Train Your Dragon three or whatever it is, kind of thing. And I feel like Pika the Detective Pikachu fooled me a little bit because i did kind of think it was that second category where right you know, like, it trailered like a marvel movie but it tra- yeah, trailered like- a lot like a marvel movie and it did feel like it was kind of pitched towards me um in a way that i think really it's kind of like pitched towards right like my one-year-old year not my one-year-old but like my my eight-year-old nephew right something along those kinds of lines <clears throat> um, or a theoretical five-year-old kid which, which is, like, I don't know. The reason I, I keep bringing that up is because it's fascinating to me as, you know, as a young, you know, a quickly leaving young adulthood adult to finally see stuff, like, targeted at me expecting me to be a parent. Which is, yeah yeah you know, a, an interesting personal thing. But. Definitely. Um, if that's all of our thoughts, are we, are we ready for the spoiler wall? I am, I am ready for the spoiler wall. Let's all right. It. So if you want to, at home, want to see this movie and not be spoiled, um, turn this podcast off right now and go see it. Um, if you don't care about it, about being spoiled, listen on. But this is your final warning. All right. So, uh, what, what do you want to talk about first? Since you've got a, you've got some like deeper thoughts on this, I think. So, um, the the first thing I want to talk about is a little bit how I think Pokemon, the video game franchise, lends itself more to um, making a movie out of it than a lot of other video game properties, especially Warcraft. Right. Um, one of the things about Warcraft that's like interesting is that it adapts the really well-regarded first game, right? But that's a game that most people, even if you are a World of Warcraft guy, right? Like, And you played it, and you played it in 2004, and you got, like, super addicted, and you remember, like, going crazy over that, like, South Park episode, right? Like, even if you are a Warcraft 3 person, right, the number of people who have played the original Warcraft is actually, like, really low in comparison to its kind of, like... Uh, it's kind of like crater-like impact on the pop culture consciousness, right? Like, that one game spawned a huge behemoth of pop culture, right? But but the interesting thing is, it's it'd be like if Star Wars was like a little tiny indie movie, and then by the time that Return of the Jedi came out, that's when it was huge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. which is a really weird interaction. That's not something we see in pop culture very often, right? Um, and so their decision to adapt... Warcraft 1, um, it makes sense, and it is kind of the logical thing to do. It is like the bedrock of story in the universe, right? Anduin Lothar and Gul'dan and Durotan and the Birth of Thrall, all of this stuff. It's like, this is all really, really important foundational stuff, but like, 
a surprising number of people, more surprising than you would consider, really don't have kind of like a nostalgic base for that. They have a nostalgic base for like Baron's chat and finding Mancrick's wife, right? Right. They don't they have they have a, a nostalgic base for like you know take candle in the Jasper Lode mine in Elwyn Forest, right? They have no idea about about all of these kind of like bigger political things that take place. That's like that's essentially backstory. But uh, Detective Pikachu and the world of Pokemon in general, right, is always pitched not on that narrative level, right? Like, Warcraft is kind of pitched to you on a narrative level. Here are big characters making big moves. It's like, you know, Game of Thrones or something kind of along those lines. Whereas Detective Pikachu and Pokemon are always pitched to you as a, like, as like a world that you would want to inhabit in an RPG sense, right? This is a place. It's got Pokemon. It's got trainers. It's got Pokeball. You know what I mean? And, like, it is a lot easier for Detective Pikachu to essentially extract, like, narrative characters and a narrative structure from a kind of tried-and-true format, which is this sort of, like, buddy cop mystery, you know, like, mystery movie, um, and plug that into Detective Pikachu and the world of Pokemon than it is to do a similar sort of thing with Warcraft, right? The narrative structure is part of the bedrock of, of Warcraft. But with Detective Pikachu, you could have made that you could have made that story a whole bunch of different things, as long as Pokemon and like the the existence of Pokemon and the interaction between Pokemon and humans was maintained and kind of front and center, I think you would have been fine. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I, I think what you're speaking to is, is Pokemon is more about the world of Pokemon than it is about, say, Ash's journey or Red's journey, right? Like, those are things yeah. that are, like, important to the character in the video game. But, and, you know, have some impact on the greater world, right? Like, you become, like, the be- bestest trainer. But at the end of the day, right, like, you could probably go to a person in the Pokemon world and, like, have uh, the the main character's story not really matter at all to their life. And because since it's just, like, a world like that, right, like, it's, it doesn't have any narrative, uh, you know, strong narrative throughput, you can kind of set whatever movie you want in the world. I definitely agree with you. Which is really funny because Pokemon games are all, like, single-player experiences, and WoW is a massively multiplayer experience and one of them has very strong like story importance and it's not the one that you would expect which yeah. is re- you know that, that, that's that's more uh like i guess like a th- comment on and, I, and, and, and this isn't to say else. that i think like warcraft would have been successful if it like adapted a like you know the baby's first adventurer story in vanilla wow or something like that or even like you know some of the bigger storyline stuff in like wrath of the lich king or something which is like you know like the peak of wow is ice crown citadel that's when it had the most subscribers and all this other kind of stuff um and it was like really de- but like i feel like it would be impossible to do something like that could you imagine doing that story without the basis of like arthas and like warcraft 3 yeah, it's like you, you, how you do you have do warcraft to- 3 and that and that's the thing they fell down this rabbit hole of like well how do you do warcraft 3 without warcraft 2 and right and like durotan and how do you do warcraft 2 without fucking guldan and blackhand and anduin lothar right like all of these things so, so you could have done it you could have you could have done two two movies the first movie is um anduin's story and it ends with the 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 the, the, the pillar or the burning of, of strathholm and Arthas's this, story, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, I, I agree with you. The Arthas's story, I think, would have been the, the right way to go. But the problem with that is, is if you're going to do that, you can't have any orcs in the movie because you have to explain them at some level. 
and it's literally just like a random medieval story with the Warcraft, and it's an authentic Warcraft story, but you mm-hmm. don't have like half of the thing that makes Warcraft what it is, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, part movie. of this, I, people say th- people say this so often that I think it's just like a meme at this point where it's like, oh, it would have been a better HBO series. It's like, yeah, no shit. A lot of stuff would be better if it was an HBO series because we overload our movies with continuity and lore and all this stuff kind of nowadays. But I sort of figure, you know, like, in a lot of ways, maybe the answer is just not to put this stuff in movies, right? And maybe yeah. the answer is to kind of just like, you know not really worry about making the next blockbuster movie franchise out of Warcraft and instead think about uh think about it on a on a kind of like smaller scale. In a certain sense, um I think Detective Pikachu is a good sign for that sort of thing because it sh- I think I think it kind of will show folks, especially folks who are talking about some of the bigger kind of like crazier adaptations like Metal Gear Solid, sort of like what works and what doesn't, right? Because for a long time, we have had a lot of, you know, like for a long time, we've had failures, essentially, right? We've had Assassin's Creed, we've had Warcraft, we've had, you know, that Tomb Raider from last year, which actually apparently made decent money and they're making a sequel, which I had no idea about. Um, They had, you know, like those sorts of movies. And so, if you're a producer or something in Hollywood and you're looking at that, you see untapped potential, right? Somebody needs to make a video game and it might as well be you and nothing has worked so far. So the sky's the limit. You can kind of do anything. But now that I feel like, you know, Detective Pikachu just made 60 million bucks, right? It's probably going to make money. It'll probably be fine. You know, fine in a box office kind of way and everything like that. I feel like once you have something to kind of be like a North star of like, aha, this is how it got done. Right. You know, and we have detective Pikachu for people to kind of like look at, um, it will help kind of anchor a lot of these other ephemeral video game movie sort of projects, um, into something more reasonably attainable. If that makes sense, rather than, you know, constantly sort of like rolling the dice and seeing what works. Yeah, my worry there is that it's going to get anchored in kid kid movie, um, and I think that the thing that we're that 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 it's not being said, and the only reason I know about this is because I've seen it in front of a couple movies. Is uh, that movie actually might have been Angry Birds one? Oh my god, uh, I saw Angry Birds one. Angry Birds one though, I think is different because I don't think well. I don't know. I have complicated feelings about Angry Birds 1, I guess, too. In the sense that it really didn't impact the pop culture consciousness, but it it got tons of butts in theaters. Like, I think it made a billion dollars. So and there's a second one coming out. Which yeah, is... but the thing about Angry Birds 1 is absolutely nobody talked about it, um, which I think matters. Okay, it's, it kind of matters saying, yeah. in, like, the, the Avatar sense, um, where, like, you know, it comes – I mean, even Avatar got more – got more people talking about it because at least at the time people were talking about avatar at the time that angry birds came out like what was the angry birds movie release date um angry birds the movie came out may 11th of 2016 i think that that's like two weeks after civil war and like five or six weeks after batman vs superman there's nobody in the pop culture consciousness that was talking about anything but Captain America Civil War and Batman vs. Superman at that time. Um, And so the fact that we are sitting down and having this conversation about Detective Pikachu that, you know, popular gaming YouTubers are making videos, popular movie and anime YouTubers are making videos about Detective Pikachu, right? Like there is something, you know, 
in a certain sense, maybe like Angry Birds the movie is the stuff that gave the studio the, uh, you know, kick in the pants that it wanted to get itself uh, to get itself going. But Detective Pikachu is for like the breakthrough moment, right, where it really kind of shines bright. Yeah, no, I, I, I buy that. I absolutely buy that. Um, but right, so, so I, I take your point, and and I guess your hope is that it anchors it in this spot where you go for kind of like a story in the world rather than kind of trying to follow the direct narrative of whatever the game is. Um, which is, uh, it, it, am I correct in that? Uh, wow, I'm actually kind of lying. I'm now looking up, uh, ang- sorry, I'm, I'm back on Angry Birds for a second. So, no worries. I'm like looking up, ang- Angry Birds did not make a billion dollars. Angry Bird made less money than Warcraft. But how much did it cost? I guess it cost half as much as Warcraft. Okay. That, <laughs> yeah, ang- I think Warcraft is was the most, Warcraft is the highest grossing video game adaptation of all time at $430 million worldwide. Angry Birds is $350 million worldwide. Wow, Warcraft is simultaneously way better than I remember. How did it make that much money? And China. The answer yeah, is China. I guess, yeah, I guess it made money in China. Um, and Angry Birds is worse than I thought. I thought Angry Birds made way more money than just $350 million, But whatever, who cares? Um, but you, so, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is, is, your, is your point with, with this that you hope that it anchors into tell the story, tell a story in the world rather than follow closely the narrative of the game itself yeah that that is what i'm hoping to see like so for instance let's let's say we were to get a um uh you know like a uh, a mass effect movie this is actually a great example if you did a mass effect movie i don't think you would need to tell the story of mass effect one and commander shepherd i think you would want that stuff to kind of like be there but i actually bet that the right way to play that would be to do kind of an original story on you know, on an offshoot sort of part of the narrative that could still kind of like kick in to the bigger, badder moments of, you know, like of the series and stuff like that, but without necessarily trying to like copy these plot points one to one, because I just don't think that that will ever be satisfying for folks. Um, another good example of this might be the that Halo movie that came out. Which also I felt like didn't make any kind of like pop culture thing, but I remember people were really jazzed about it at the time. Did um, it come out? I thought it never actually came out. Um, it might have been like a TV movie. Um, God, what was it called? Uh, uh, was it maybe? Wasn't there something that like the? Um, I think Michael Coulter was in it. I'm gonna try and find it through through him. Was, was there um, something that, like, the cha- like the, the Chappie in the District 9 guy, I think he was working on something related to that one point. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, Neil Blomkamp, I think, was, was supposed to make yeah. the, the big, big, um, like, feature Halo movie. Okay, so Halo got a, got a TV series, I guess is what I'm thinking of. But I remember people thinking that the Halo TV series was really cool because it, like, butted up against the games and like the tales of halo and the lore of halo and stuff like that without being like super directly you know it's not like they cast master chief for instance right or like uh, if, ca- if if somebody like a master chief shows up it's like in the background or in a room for a shot so oh, okay this is what i'm thinking i'm thinking uh forward unto dawn which is the game or which is the movie that they released next like in conjunction with halo 4 i guess um so yeah so i think that that's exactly 
Uh, I think that that's kind of like the the way that you want to do it. You want to lock into the mythos. You want to lock into the lore and the franchise, but you can tell a smaller story without necessarily like adapting the big stuff. I actually think you know in in terms of in terms of different games, maybe you could do individual plot lines for things rather than like a full beginning to end and trying to get like all of math mass effect on on screen maybe you could just do like a certain subset of like kind of missions if you think about games as hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of content i actually do think it's pretty tough to condense that down into something that is you know an hour and a half, right? Even right. two, two to three hours, sort of thing. Um, and so, something that might make it easier to accomplish these goals, I guess I would say, is to um, is to find like you know, don't just you're not doing Warcraft three. You are doing the Arthas storyline, right? Or the Thrall storyline, or whatever, or whatever sort of like storyline that you want to do, and be really tight and focused in on that aspect of the of the story and of the game rather than of like the whole thing a, a good a good example of this might be like um uh you know imagine the walking dead telltale series where you you make a movie out of like the first two or three segments but not all five does that make sense yeah i see this is funny because i think that i think that there are a subset of games where like adventure games would be one of them where you can tell a fairly direct Version like one to one telling of the story and have it work. Um, okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, like the other one, that, the one that keeps popping into my mind because it's the the one I think that a lot of people make the, the comparison to is like Uncharted, which is not a series I'm super familiar with, but I feel like those are like they're essentially like interactive action movies. If uh, as I've come to understand it, and so like I feel like those might again those might make good for good direct adaptations. I think I think it'd be weird though. I don't know. There's there's a lot of interplay between like games that like could have been movies with less interaction, right? That I think I think you're ultimately right a lot of times where if it's it, it, it's hard to to do it in a way that's satisfying um and so the, and that's where a lot of these movies fail, right? Like that's where like say Assassin's Creed kind of fails is, is in that kind of vein. Um but uh but yeah, I, I I definitely think you're onto something with the telling a story in the world is the better way to go about it, um, and I think it works better for like games that are that are a little bit less narratively tied, right? Like uh, like the Pokemon like Pokemon works. What else can I can I think of that might work? You could probably do like I don't know. Uh, no, no, no! I can't think of anything. So we know that there's an animated Mario movie coming out, for instance. I think you could make that work with basically, you know, the Mario story framework is so straightforward. Oh yeah, you know, like it's not hard to make that to 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 get to right. But, but on that the, one, I feel like. But but that's that's not a movie set in the Mario universe, right? You're not going to be following like trust your teeth. Yeah, Goomba, that's fair. Right, it's just going to be the fact that the Mario narrative is. Is always, always like Mario saves the princess from Bowser. You, you know what might be a good one actually is Deus Ex. I feel like there would be a lot of fertile yeah. ground, you know, where you're not yep. necessarily playing Adam Jensen, right? But you could play somebody kind of adjacent to all of this stuff, um, especially because like you know that like kind of cyber noir stuff. Um, yeah. Plus, we've already it's just got so rich. We've already got two kind of like separated storylines anyway, right? Like there's Jensen and uh, the original Deus Ex. And I can't remember the character's name. I, 
faces is Adam popping Jensen up. and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but yeah, yeah, no, I remember that super blocky face too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there but, are a couple of games, or there are a couple of video game movies that I think would be hard to do. For instance, like Bioshock, I think would be really tough to do in this in this vein. Um, yeah, I think Bioshock kind of like requires the you know like the the just you walking into rapture and rapture kind of sucks and then you meet andrew ryan and then you fight you know like atlas like i feel like you would have to kind of like do each of those pieces in order um in order to kind of like get to the other side yeah i feel like a bioshock movie could work if you were doing like you know you know the infinite implies you know there's always a white house and like like similar events happen in kind of like parallel like if Mm. you did another one right with new characters that isn't rapture or isn't um whatever the city's name in infinite was i can't remember um if you did like a a a new one you could probably get that to to work but um uh but yeah i I think you're ultimately right um do you maybe want to veer back a little bit to actually about Detective Pikachu? Because yeah, really I mean, I definitely wanted to talk. Uh, we we have exhausted most of my like. I want to talk about video game movies as a genre um, uh, thing. So for Detective Pikachu, the movie itself, um, uh, I the the thing that I thought was so interesting was their ability to just kind of they basically copied like the plot of like Zootopia and and ported it over hands like ham-fistedly jabbed it into the Pokemon universe, and that was, like, that was their whole story. I was really expecting more with, like, trainers or, like, battles or any of that kind of stuff, but it really only kind of came out in that, like, tiny underground Rhyme City battle sequence with Pikachu versus Charizard, and even then it was, like, not so much. Um, and so that was that was kind of, like, an interesting, uh, like, way to approach it, but... Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny, because they immediately did, like, Two things. One, they set it in a city where Pokemon don't live in Pokeballs; they live aside alongside humans. Yeah. And two, they also like change the parameters of the Pokemon universe slightly in that it's implied that like you only ever have one Pokemon and you're like partners with them, which is not which is weird by the way canon. because the the movie explicitly canonizes. That first Pokemon movie from, like, the year 2000 or whatever, which was about, you know, like, Mewtwo being created and then freed. Because it literally references that YouTube was freed 20 years ago and that movie came out, like, 20 years ago. Wow. So I'm like, this is all set in, like, the canonical anime Pokemon universe. They reference Johto. They reference Kanto, right? Like, so... I really have no idea where to think about yeah, it so, on, like, so, those so, kinds of terms. <laughs> this is a weird thing, though, with, like, kind of Pokemon media, right? Because the iconic relationship is Ash with Pikachu, right? right. And they do have that partnerish relationship. relationship. Um, but Ash also has other Pokemon. It's, like, this weird mix for, like, the partner relationship with your, with your favorite Pokemon is definitely something that's kind of um, present in the mythos, right? But goes directly against kind of like the mechanics of the video game, which more get paid lip service than anything else, right? Like, you know, this is one of those things where, like, if you stop and you think about it, right? Like, um, uh, you know, must suck to be any of Ash's Pokemon that aren't Pikachu because Ash clearly doesn't give a shit about you, right? Like, or, you know, um, you know, the obvious things which are like, you know, Pokemon is, 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 is cockfighting, uh, essentially. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I, and I expected that to happen. Like that—that's part of why I was a little blindsided by. It. Like I really expected that to happen, right? Where, um, you know, Pikachu, the part of part of like the buddy copness was going to be about uh, Tim and Pikachu fighting a, a real like trainer battle together, right? Where Pikachu has the power and Tim has like the strategy and tactics. Um it reminds me a lot of like Real Steel did this with like robots or whatever. Right. Um and that would have been great to be honest with you. They could have they could have like copied that sort of a framework, but they just completely dodged it one hundred percent. Uh so Did they did they ever explain like exactly why um uh tim stopped loving pokemon like it's implied it's because his mom died but like they didn't really go into it right it's not like yeah they did not go into it okay because because i remember like them kind of hanging it with like you know it's the most important day of my life and then his and then you know his mom's dead um yeah and that's why that that underground battle scene was like a thing you know like i thought that they were kind of like setting something up for well you know tim says he doesn't like pokemon but he remembers all of the moves and all of the whatever and so he's actually really good at you know good at it he just hasn't like used that muscle in a really long time which would have been perfect fodder for this kind of thing but like i said they just completely sidestepped that side of the story right pikachu uses a move (laughs) <laughs> Tim, Tim recommends to him in a completely different situation to beat Mewtwo um, or to at least, like, distract Mewtwo while Tim beats up Bill Nye or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Not even beats up, like, just pulls the headset off, right? Like, this is, I don't know, maybe this is nitpicky, but, like, you, you left the kid next to your unconscious body where you could easily pull the thing off. You didn't really need to. And I guess it's like arrogance or whatever, but it just, I, it just yeah, it seemed I, I have like a hard time with stuff like this because part of me wants to give it a pass. Right, From yeah. a kid's movie perspective. Because, like, you know, this movie was not hard to figure out, right? right? It was blatantly obvious who the bad guy was, right? That there was going to be this twist... We've all seen this. We we all saw the like you know Pikachu and and Tim break up at the end of the second act because that always happens in these fucking right. movies. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff was so rote. And part of me wants to be like, you know what? Like that's bullshit. It's not good. But part of me wants to be like, you know what? It's a kids movie, and kids need to be able to like figure this stuff out. And so it has to be, you know, like maybe I'm just you know like maybe I'm just like a, a senior shitting on like a first grader's spelling test like you don't know how to spell mayonnaise you fucking idiots this is so easy but it's like yeah maybe if i'm in first grade mayonnaise is a really hard word to spell <laughs> you know what i mean and so part of me wants to give it what a what a metaphor part of me wants to give it a pass on those uh on those terms right which is that the mystery is there to be figured out by a 10 year old right and um kind of like Tim, all of, like, Tim's stuff has to be, like, super bargain basement uh, in order to be figured figured out by a 10-year-old, you know. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, no, I, I, I definitely... <laughs> I definitely agree with you, right? Like, and I, I feel these kinds of, like, moments bubbling up in my head being like, I don't know, like, how, how much of this can I, can I really dig into without it being, like, weird 
right? Like, yeah, yeah, because like maybe for me to bring it back to the example, right? Like maybe for me it was obvious that Tim should have just walked over and unplugged the guy, but for a kid, maybe figuring that out and yelling it at the screen, a la Dora the Explorer, is the right way to make the movie. You know, like who right, am I to yeah, say? Yeah. I don't yep. know. It's tough. It's it. You know, like it's hard. Um, I tend to think that kids are smarter than we give them credit for when it comes to media. I will say this. I, I think that kids are smarter than we than, than um, we give them credit for when it comes to media. And that's kind of what I think, you know, insofar as we want to talk about sort of like this animation revolution that we lived through in terms of like that first wave of Pixar movies, um, kind of into some of the these DreamWorks movies, like How to Train Your Dragon and um, and Kung Fu Panda, right? Like, Part of the secret to success in those movies is that it didn't put on kids' gloves for the kids, right? It was just as much a satisfying, you know, like, narrative through line for um, uh, for, for an adult to kind of, like, walk through and figure out as it was for a kid. So part of me wants to kind of say, you know what, Th- this one's playing it a little bit too safe and it loses credit for that. And I think... That's sort of where I land on it, which is a bit of why I think that Warcraft is better, right? Because, you know, it is a lot more nuanced in some places uh, than, than like, this movie would end up being. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's tough. That's, that's, like, that's a really hard distinction to make. Like, where is the line between, you know, letting a kid's movie be a kid's movie and kind of demanding that they take their story a little bit more seriously? Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, so I, I want to talk about something a little spice. You, you down for, for some spice? Okay. Hit me with the fucking spice. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the, the, one of the big reveals is that, um, uh, Ryan Reynolds is in fact, Tim's dad in Pikachu's body, right? Yeah. What the fuck? Um, I am actually like really kind of impressed because and this is the spicy part. They very clearly played on the fact that we expected Ryan or Tim's dad to be a black person. And so we didn't expect Ryan Reynolds to be uh, like to be his dad. Like, yeah. I, I think that was like part and parcel of the whole reveal. I, I thought that was like that, that was, I, I guess, intriguing is the best way to put it. I don't know how I feel about it. It was just something that like really struck me as like, wow, they really played that well. Because like I I kind of figured it out, but it was like, you know, it, it, it was just well, well, I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I saw want to say basically about it. everything else in the movie coming, um, except for that thing where it was like the reason Tim can talk to Pikachu is because it's his dad. Um, that was the one piece of it that I was like, actually, like, wow, you got me, movie, with this like with this like fucking plot twist. But the thing is, is that okay? And I know this is nitpicky bullshit, so I'm just putting it up there. Wouldn't Tim recognize his fucking dad's voice, like? Ryan Reynolds has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And, and so that was the only thing that I couldn't, you know, kind of like couldn't well, get out of my head. Well, he, he hasn't um, seen his dad in years, right? Apparently they only communicate by letter. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> by snail mail. Oh, God. Um, they only communicate yeah. by letter once and he didn't even send the letter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Um so, you know, uh yeah. Uh, the the uh I do like these kinds of diversity plays in movies like this. I mean, Justice Smith um also is from something that I like a lot which is called which is the Netflix miniseries by Boz Lerman called The Get Down. Um that was that was like his first big break and in that he is biracial like his mom is 
Puerto Rican and his dad is black or the other way around, which is kind of the, the Miles Morales setup, which is, um, um, which is, which I think is kind of like normal er in today's day and age than, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if, if we want to talk about that, you know, I'm happy to see Karen Sony get more play where he isn't playing an Indian person. Um, I, yeah, maybe, for real. <laughs> maybe does Ryan Reynolds just like drag Karen Sony around with him to everything now? Because um, he's he's the Pinder in in the Deadpool movies. Um, yeah, I imagine that he got brought in by like Ryan Reynolds from the Deadpool movies. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, I I I, have, I think I've mentioned this show before, but I really like him as the main character in uh, Other Space, which I don't even know if you can watch that anymore because it was on Yahoo TV, um, and uh, it was a Paul it was Paul Feig series, um, a lot of like Paul Feig regulars in there. It was it's very entertaining, like a kind of Orville-ish is probably yeah, like the best Neil way Casey. to put it. Yeah, I actually do remember seeing this movie. Man, Yahoo TV. It's not a movie. It's it's a it's a series. Or a TV. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Re- re- rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yahoo yeah, TV. <laughs> the, the only reason I watched it is because it was like the other show that was on Yahoo TV that wasn't uh, Community. Yeah, Community <laughs> season six. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I really like Karen Sony, and so uh, and he's he's playing like a guy named Jack, and they 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 like this is part of like the uh, the you know jokes aimed at the adults thing that like only the adults will like only adults that know what Pokemon is will get, which is like. Cubone wearing the skull of his dead mom, right? Like it was just like casually yeah. referenced in like, you know. So I thought I thought I thought like the the uh, fan service I guess was was pretty good, um. Uh, and uh, the fact that Mewtwo was in the trailer, like I was afraid that Mewtwo in the trailer was just going to be ruining the twist, but it wasn't, right? Like, peek it like the trailer makes it out to be more of a twist than it is, right? It's just kind of like the core plot of the movie. Like, it's literally the opening scene we see Mewtwo, right? So it's not like yeah. it's a twist at all, even though, you know. But that, that's more problems with the trailer than anything else. Yeah, I also kind of, like, wonder, like, how much do people... I You know, it was nice that they had a pretty wide variety of um, the different kinds of Pokemon, right? Like, we got Pokemon from, you know, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3. You know, it felt pretty spread out. Um, but obviously, Pikachu... Ooh, excuse me, Pikachu and Mewtwo are both like core Gen One Pokemon. Right. Like they're like they're the two big famous ones. And I do kind of wonder a little bit, like if I'm a kid coming up in today's day and age, do I have that same connection to like Pikachu and to Mewtwo, or is that something that is only relegated to me because I watch like the fucking anime? Um, I, I think Pikachu is an enduring, uh, an enduring mascot for the series. Yeah, like a, like an icon. Yeah. Um, also, like, it's, this is, it's a little bit weird, but, like, a lot of the Pokemon on screen are, like, the, the more iconic ones such that they appear in, like, Smash Brothers, right? Char's, it's, it's, it's technically Ivysaur in Smash Brothers, but, you know, the, the Gen 1 starters are all there, um, you know, uh, Greninja's another Smash Brothers character, um, and there were a couple that I didn't recognize, but, like, most of them are, like, pretty core Pokemon uh, uh, races, you know, that, that like, uh, races maybe isn't the right word, but core Pokemon species um, that uh, that I think a, a wide swath of people would recognize even if you didn't, even if you weren't super connected to the series. Mm-hmm. Um, 
don't know. I, I guess this is a thing I'd have to ask, like, a kid, right? Like, how how, how well do they know the Gen 1 Pokemon? Um, I, you know, my, my guess is that they know them fairly well, because obviously the Gen 1 Pokemon still exist in, like, yeah. the later versions of the games. So, I don't know. I haven't played a Pokemon game in a long time, but I, I do kind of, like, want to go back. That if, if there's anything successful about this movie, I think it is that stuff, right? This is a movie that reminds me a lot of John Wick in the sense that, like, the thing that really stood out and made me connect with the film on a real, on a real level was the world building. Um, where just kind of seeing, you know, a guy who has his octopus Pokemon helping him make rice balls on a, you know, like as a street vendor or whatever. Like that's always the stuff that I find coolest and like most interesting about Pokemon as like a world. And I felt like all that stuff was really delivered on really like well here, even some of the smaller aspects of this. Like this was pointed out to me by uh, Jeff Thu of mother's basement, but that all of the phones in the movie look like Pokedexes. And that was something that I noticed. I was like, what the fuck are these phones? They look so weird. But it didn't make, but I, and it didn't make sense to me at the time. But then he, he was like, yeah. And so, you know, in the Pokemon universe, Pokedex ex- existed first. And then, da- like, phones got uploaded into them instead of kind of being created sort of, like, wholesale on their own. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so all of those little details were really nice and cool to see on the screen. Um, and I think that, like, th- that is the big, big pinnacle of the movie. It really sold this, you know, here's a world where people and Pokemon are just hanging out. They are a part of one another's lives in a very integrated way. See, it's funny because I thought those cell phones were supposed to be, like, look like, look like Nintendo Switches. Um, oh. <laughs> but I bet, I, I bet you anything that the the you know the latest version of the Pokedex is designed to look like a Nintendo Switch because that's the thing that they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, that's that's actually where that's really clever. Um, I'm glad you pointed out because I didn't I didn't know about that. That's uh, that's neat. Uh, but yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you. Kind of your your core thesis there that it's about the weirdness of the po- Pokemon world where like, uh, you know. It's like you know, every society runs around Pokemon in, in a weird way. Although it's it, the, the thing that's maybe a little bothersome is that it, it seems like maybe it's just this city, right? Like that maybe oh, yeah, that's just like, Rhyme City. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm, which, yeah. but you know, we don't see the rest of it, and so I I think that's up in the air enough that it, like it's not super a super big deal. Um, I do like I do like the the kind of acknowledgement that there are normal people that aren't Pokemon trainers in the world. It's like Tim's an insurance salesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I, you know, I have to say, I really like uh, I really like Justice Smith, and I also really like Ryan Reynolds, and they had good chemistry in the lighthearted stuff. But I I had a tough time with like the more emotional side of things. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I, I really, it, it's so hard to put this into real terms, but it's almost a little, and I, and I understand what they were going for. Um, but like, I just kind of had a really tough time sort of like empathizing with him about his daddy issues and with, you know, Pikachu, uh, around his, I guess, like pushing people away, weird issues. Part of me, you know, like maybe I'm just kind of like tired by that, uh, 
narrative framework in the first place, right? Like, I am tired out, I'm tuckered out, Mango, of seeing this, you know, like, these, uh, the second act blowout breakdown sort of, sort of, like, story point and stuff like that, but, I don't know, like, it's, it felt like there, that was attempting to kind of, like, plug, pull on my heartstrings, and it just wasn't getting to me. Um, yeah. How did, how did you feel about that stuff? No, I, 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 I agree with you, like, I think I agree with you that maybe it's just kind of like, you know, your, your previous point about like, you know, kids need to see their first version of that storyline. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. It um, is a really basic, like, you know, reconnecting with my with my dad, you know, my parent storyline. So that makes sense. And, and I, I will say that, like, at least like, you know, the, you know, like, you know, the, the, the kind of team breaks up for a, for a hot second moment was a little bit better justified than in, than in other places, right? Like, yeah, it was kind of stupid, but at least it, like, made a modicum of sense, right? Like, and it was, it was at least it was, you know, I would have been madder at it if, if it was Tim being like, go away, Pikachu, you killed my dad. Um, yeah. When, and, like, I think that the, the idea of Pikachu being like, no, I'm a monster, um, and walking away is, is, uh, is the, uh, is the better way to play it. So I at least appreciate it from that yeah. perspective. Yeah. I also had a lot of trouble with like the action scenes like that fucking, okay. Can we talk about that Torterra scene? What did a whole mountain range just come out of fucking nowhere and nobody noticed what? Like, like that, that whole action scene, I didn't, I, I mean, I, I immediately understood what was going on yeah. because, like, you know, the Torterra and everything like that. And I bet that that probably would have, like, worked for a kid or whatever. But I was just kind of like, what on earth is going on that entire time? Yeah, uh, and there's, then, not, like, Pikachu, there's not great, like, fight geometry or geography there's not, Yeah, or there's not great fight geography. Pikachu just takes, like, a random rock to the gut and is now dying. Yeah, like, yeah that's true. You know, I was like, what the fuck? And then after all of that, the Torterra are like, oh... I guess we're just going to go back to sleep. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> what the fuck was all that? It was, it was like, oh, we need, we need, like, I, I, yeah. Like the, that rock was like, didn't like the thing that knocked out Pikachu didn't feel like the right scale. Right. Yeah. Like, like, in fact, it felt like they were playing it for laughs in the first place. Cause they like zoom on it and then it's tiny. And like, it's like, ha ha, he got hit with a rock, but then it like actually almost, killed him no that that's exactly my reaction to it like i saw him get hit by the rock and then like a little bit of other stuff happened and i was like you know okay well at least somebody gets like hurt by all this like flying debris and then the movie was like pikachu no he's <laughs> dying and i was like wait what really uh okay i guess so <laughs> also there was like way too much movement for like what was like happening right like it's like you know and the forest goes, like, 90 degrees. It's like, what is this? Like, are these, like, in Inception tor tortoises? Like, I, I don't, I don't. But, yeah, yes, I, I absolutely agree with you that that scene was, was, was confusing at best. There are a lot of, like, little things like that, right? Like, no Pokemon can talk to people except for, apparently, the Ditto. That's, like, the pink-haired agent. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, that was something else I was thinking about because there was one part where I think the Bulbasaurs who were taking Tim and Pikachu to Mewtwo, the Bulbasaurs looked to Casey? Sarah? Fuck, what was her name? 
the lady, the 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 reporter Lucy? girl. Lucy, look at look to Lucy, and they shake their heads side to side to say no, don't follow, right? Which like Tim immediately vocalizes, but that got me thinking, and I honestly like spaced out of the movie for like three minutes thinking about this. I was like, wait, hold on a second. If the Pokemon shake their head side to side and communicate no to the humans, and given Pikachu's example, they are just as intelligent as humans, right? They are effectively, you know, perfectly sentient beings just in animal, you know, just like just in animal bodies with this kind of like unbreakable language barrier, right? Doesn't it suggest that shaking their head side to side means that even these wild Pokemon do implicitly understand breaking that language barrier. And that like, even if Tim and Pikachu couldn't talk to one another, Tim could just ask Pikachu a big set of yes or no questions in order to establish like a clear and consistent set of communication between the Pokemon and the humans. And I got so lost down that tangent that, I, that when like Mewtwo showed up, I was like, wait, what? Where, where do we go? Where, where do we get here? <laughs> I was thinking about, like, the linguistics of it all. I guess that's a little bit undercut just by, you know, the fact that Pikachu isn't... I was under the impression that Pikachu was a Pikachu and not a human merged into a Pikachu body at the time, which kind of, like, retroactively solves this problem. But, yeah, part of me was really thinking about the, like, you know... I actually feel like the language barrier is pretty surmountable, you guys. Like... Yeah, I mean, it's super consistent around that too, right? Because, like, Pikachu initially cl- claims that he can't understand people besides uh, besides J- Tim, yeah. right? <laughs> and then, like, and then like makes, like, a mild sex joke at the lady that calls him adorable, right? Like, like he clearly understood what she was saying to him when yep. she was like, you're adorable, right? Like, it, it, it's just kind of played fast and loose. And at that point, I'm just like, whatever. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm just. Gonna, I'm just gonna let this ride. Yeah. I. I. I can't. You know. I. I, I can't get this worked up over a children's movie, right? Like, yeah. I, it's. Yeah. It is absolutely like the the logic. You know. I mean. Part, sometimes I do think that it is sort of like fair to scrutinize these things on this kind of level, but in this instance, I feel like I would kind of be like a little bit out of. Uh, right. Out like of place. There is no reason why spraying the, like, hypergas at the Ditto should make it melt into a puddle. Also, yeah. did he murder that Ditto? <laughs> like, what? Also, Ditto, Ditto can can impersonate people? Is that something from... I thought so, Ditto could only copy so, Pokemon. So, and he could only copy Pokemon that he is currently in battle with, right? So, there's, there's two things. One, um... There is a throwaway line that it is one of his his father's experiments, right? Oh, um, okay. Um, but the other thing is, is that on the set of the new show, he, it, in plain view, turns into a person and starts wheeling the the father around, mm-hmm. right? Like as if that's like a thing that that they do, which is like, I don't know, like Ditto's transformation power is. Weird. I think there's definitely been a point in the anime where it turns into a person. the The old joke of like turns into like a sexy thing, and you know, unspeakable things happen with the Ditto is a thing that's been around the internet for a while. So mm-hmm. I I don't know I don't know how lore friendly it is or not, but um, you know, again, just things that I am willing to just let slide at this point because what else are you gonna fucking do, right? Yeah. Like. 
know. The other the other thing that kept like bothering me was um the the son Roger with his sunglasses on looks like ninety percent like my Leonopolis, and I was I just couldn't get that out of my head. Um, which is uh, I weird... oh my god, I had that exact same thing, and I was thinking about that the whole time. Uh, and then I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. Yes, he did look like Milo. What the fuck? <laughs> like, like I, I was, uh, I spent a little bit of time trying to think. Is, is that maybe on purpose? Like, he's like a shady mer- uh, media personality. Like, maybe that's supposed to be a real thing. Yeah, but the thing is, I always knew that he was like a red herring. Like, he was so obviously a red yeah, herring. Yeah, yeah. That I was like, what are they trying to? I just have to imagine that it's just coincidental. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That can't be. That can't be a real a real thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. uh, but I but, feel like <laughs> Detective Pikachu. You know, this is part of why we talked about video game movies in a broader context um, is because uh, I feel like there's just not all that much to get into when it comes to Detective Pikachu. Well, I do have a small question of: Do you think that they're going to do a sequel? And if so, you know, like what would you what would you like to see? Um, so I don't think they are, or maybe I don't think they should, because I honestly don't know how you, like, if you do a sequel, you somehow have to force Ryan Reynolds back into Pikachu's body, which is, like, a plot contortion that I don't think needs to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, in order for the movie to really work. Um, so I apparently think... in the English dub of the Detective Pikachu game... The the voice actor for Pikachu is Will Arnett, and I have to say, I kind of secretly want to hear Will Arnett do all of the Detective Pikachu lines for Detective Pikachu. You know what I mean? <laughs> Will that Arnett being that. the voice actor for BoJack Horseman. Uh, for for those of you who are are unaware, <laughs> he's also a Job on Arrested Development, right? Yeah, he's Job on Arrested Development. He was Deathstroke in uh, the Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Um, to date, still the very best kids movie of all kids movies, uh, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that would be really fu- Like, that would be funny. Although, like, I guess you could do it if, like, you have, like, if it's, like, a Pokemon-only movie, right? Like, you don't, like, you have Ryan Reynolds and Justice Smith kind of be, like, background mm-hmm. characters, maybe, and it's all, like, the Pokemon talking amongst themselves and, you know, you could do Will Arnett and a bunch of other things. They're just trying to solve a mystery without, like, the rest of them around, maybe. But I, I just don't think it – I don't think it really works. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely not. Um, um, anyway, so well, those are our thoughts about Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I want to get into the back end of the week because I feel like there's a lot to talk about because we're doing your Game of Thrones recap, which I just want all of you to know has been an absolute treasure to watch. Like, Manuel will message me like, oh, my God, why did this XYZ happen? And it is just choice. Uh, But before we talk about Game of Thrones, I actually wanted to probe you a little bit about um, card games because you've been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering Arena, right? That's what we've been talking about all week. Okay. So uh, do you keep track of the pro scene at all, like – Esports, no. regular, regular sports. Okay, well, fuck. That was my whole thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so do you, do you want to talk about this card marking thing? 
Like, uh, so a, I know a, a little, little bit. bit about it. The, the, so the interesting thing, an interesting thing is happening in Hearthstone right now. Obviously, Hearthstone is the card game of choice for me um, and a couple of our other friends. We kind of have like a big group of people, half of whom are not even half, less than half, just like a couple of us are playing Hearthstone and then everybody else is playing Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, but one of the interesting things about Hearthstone esports, uh, Hearthstone Worlds just happened and was awesome, by the way. The the final, it was a it was a best of five, and the final match of game five. I I want to recommend people go watch it, but I like unless you have an understanding of the meta, you probably wouldn't really understand what's going on. But it was crazy and awesome, and I highly recommend that you know if you're willing to try and decipher what's going on. It was it was super hype at the time. Um, but one of the interesting things is that they are moving from an old format, which was called Conquest, to a new format, which is called Specialist. Essentially, Conquest said that you brought four decks from four different heroes. Um, and each of those, and of those four decks, your opponent would ban one, right? So the most popular deck in the meta right now is Tempo Rogue. A lot of players were coming in, and they were just saying, you know what? I'm banning Tempo Rogue, and I'll play your warrior, your mage, your druid, whatever sort of thing. Um, and then you get you in order to win on conquest, you have to get one win a piece on each of your three other decks, right? So if I bring, you know, Rogue, Warrior, Mage, and Hunter, I and they ban Rogue, I have to win on my Warrior, I have to win on my Mage, and I have to win on my Hunter in a best of three in order to, uh, in order to take it, right? Um, once I have one on a deck, I can't play that deck anymore, essentially. Uh, they are moving to a new system which is called Specialist. Specialist says you bring one deck to your match, right? But you can have three different versions that are all the same within five cards of each other. All right, and technically, you have a base deck and then you have two secondary decks where you can swap out five cards, right? So under this format, you would bring in um, a Tempo Rogue, right? And then you would have one version of the deck that is, you know, Tech versus Control Warrior or something like that. And then you would have another vers version of the deck that is Tech versus Hunter. And so... If so, like, you, sideboarding in Magic? Yeah, so, like, of? sideboarding in Magic. But you don't get to sideboard individual cards. You, you right. still have the three explicit deck lists. But you can, you know, like, make a specialized deck list to deal with, like, your worst matchups, for instance. Um, this has been... First of all, sideboards have been talked about a lot in Hearthstone. People have wanted to implement sideboards for a long time, which is normal, right? Magic the Gathering has been using sideboards. In Magic, your sideboard is 15 cards, and you have to play your first match with your bear deck, with your basic deck. But then after every match, you can then sideboard in cards, right? So you can take out cards that don't work in the particular matchup and sub in cards that do sort of thing. Um, this is Hearthstone's uh, like iteration of sideboards. Uh, and it was initially received like really well. A lot of people looked at it and they were like, oh, wow, we've been asking for this for a long time. We really want to see sideboards in action kind of thing. But the, fir the very first tournament just happened with Specialist. And... Nine players brought Tempo Rogue because it's the best game, the best deck in the game. Two players brought Warrior because Control Warrior is the best deck versus Tempo Rogue, and one player brought Hunter. Right, and after that tournament, everybody was like, "Oh my god, what the fuck!" I just watched, you know what I mean, like twenty hours of Tempo Rogue versus Tempo Rogue. That was boring as fuck and super dumb, right? And so, uh. I just wanted to that 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 is the setup, right? This is kind of like the esports setup for 
for like the current generation of Hearthstone. We are moving out of Conquest and into Specialist. Um, there is a little bit of like con- context about that tournament. That tournament happened right after the expansion dropped, um, so people didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of like you know like the meta hadn't really shifted you know and kind of settled into a good sense or whatever. Um, and they didn't and and it was also kind of right next to Worlds. So as people were preparing for Worlds, which was Conquest, um, they were also kind of like preparing for this sort of thing. So it's not quite as dire as it sounds, but it is still kind of secretly dire. What are your what are your thoughts about all of this stuff? Um, I think it seems to me, and I, I haven't really actively played Hearthstone in a while, but it seems to me that Hearthstone has this problem that it, sent, it just doesn't have enough variety, and I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly why that is compared to, say, like Magic. Right? Magic always has, like, at least a half dozen different things, it seems, that are semi-viable. Um and at the competitive level, I know that there's a lot of repeats, but, like, one, they're all kind of, like, subtle variations on another, and two, it feels like there is more kind of, like, there are more models to go off of. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe part of that is because there's, like, hard, different win conditions, right? Like, Hearthstone is always reduce your opponent to zero HP. Um, even when it's decking someone, that is in service of getting them to zero HP through the uh, through the, the, the decking process. Um uh, and so, I don't know. Uh, it's it's it seems like maybe Hearthstone just needs more cards. Like the Hearthstone season seemed weirdly tuned. Such like I feel like you could deal with more cards in kind of rotation. Um, I think I know why they're doing it, which is kind of like to kind of like shuffle out inconvenient meta- metas faster. And you know that sounds meaner than I mean it, but like to just kind of, like, rotate cards out faster, whereas I think Magic's a little bit... I guess maybe since Magic's been going for so long, they, they don't have some of these problems, right? Like, I, I, like you have powerful combos in Magic, but um, I guess if they're way too powerful... Like, I, I know that there are individual cards that get banned occasionally in Magic. Um, there's, like, a... I take an extra turn card, I think, that's in that's in the M19 set that I think is banned. Um, but, uh... I guess, like... And that's, that's how magic deals with it it's not not really a problem um i don't know i i guess that i guess that's it is there's not a ton of there's not a ton of variety in hearthstone decks and so i guess lacking the ban everybody's gonna go to the yeah i've heard there there are kind of a couple of different uh like among pros like this is a this is a question i've been paying attention to among the wider hearthstone kind of professionals and like streamers and stuff like that and there's kind of it seems like there's two sort of answers one of them is that like the meta is imbalanced tempo rogue is too good right therefore once you nerf tempo rogue a little bit you like maybe you do x y or z sort of nerf everything will kind of settle out and we'll have a much better kind of like uh like rock paper scissors interaction um i've also seen another thing that says that like pros are a little too homogenous um if that makes sense where like the pros all play with each other and practice with with each other and learn from each other really like extensively and quickly so like when the pros sort of settle on the the pros will always sort of settle on this is the best deck in the meta right um and once they do that you're kind of fucked because everybody is going to sort of like follow the leader in that approach i don't really super agree with that one another take and this one i think is 
very true, is that the ability to tech deck lists in specialist has kind of removed um, some of like the deck building challenge around sort of things like tempo rogue, right? So for instance, in conquest, right, you can only bring one deck of each of each class. So I can bring my tempo rogue list, right? But I can't. I can never tech my tempo rogue list against more than one kind of opponent. Um, and apparently, like, so on ladder, for instance, a lot of people are running tempo rogue. About 30% of the ladder is tempo rogue right now. And so a lot of people are also running control warrior because it is the most kind of gut check best deck against tempo rogue. But if you play tempo rogue specifically teched against control warrior, your win rate shoots through the roof because you're playing cards that are otherwise bad in any other tempo matchup you lose. Um, you lose a lot of steam and a lot of power because you're playing weird off you know, off-color cards, but against this one specific matchup is really, really, really good, and the ability to do that in Specialist um, is is kind of, like, hamstringing the format because people never have to choose, like, between tech cards. It's not like you, I have my one Tempo Rogue list, and I say, okay, I have five slots for tech cards, and I'm going to dedicate three of them to Control Warrior, two of them to Secret Hunter, right? I can build an entire list that is Ver, you know, like, I can build an entire list where all five of my cards are versus Control Warrior, all five of my cards are versus Secret Hunter, and I don't have to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to weigh the, the option between the two, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I, I think this plays into my, my point kind of about variety stuff, right? Yeah. Like, Control Warrior is kind of like, like, magic sideboards are usually, like, various types of removal and maybe one or two other kind of, like, situational things. But, like, that's because they are, they are sideboards designed to kind of play against whatever the opponent's throwing at you, right? Like, if yeah. you don't have enough enchantment removal and the opponent's deck is, like, based around, like, these three different enchantment interactions, then you sideboard in some enchantment removal and you're, you're honky-dory. Um, uh, but you can't really... It's not like... It is... It would be weird to, like, have a sideboard designed against a specific deck because the, the, it's just not consistent enough to hit that i don't think like it, it's it's not like you are going to hit just control warrior and so you want to tech against control or you know i don't know ag like even within aggro like there's enough different things that you might want to have just kind of generalized removal in your sideboard so i i think that's part of it but sorry i didn't i didn't mean to interrupt you finish your no your I, that that was basically and then there's another um there's another kind of uh sort of uh answer to this that i was also thinking about but now i got sidetracked but yeah so the this interaction between like sideboards um does seem to be you know does seem to part but part of me thinks that like the meta will settle more i actually don't think tempo rogue is quite as good as people say it is um and i also don't think that control warrior is quite the counter that people uh, that kind of like people say it is, but like we take a lot of, um, oh, this, this is it. The other piece of this is that Hearthstone has an insane amount of data that is available to players, uh, essentially through the website HS replay, which just like, it just tracks every game through like their own sort of like API. You can download an add on and it will, you know, keep track of all of your games and then upload those results. And so you can look at things in insane amounts of detail, right? Like I can pull up HS Replay and HS Replay will tell me what the most, not even just like the best performing decks are, right? But what like the best performing cards in that deck are, right? It'll tell me when I have a card that says, you know, add a copy of a creature to your hand 
hand, it will tell me what creatures I could target with that card that would give me the highest percentage win rate. And at that point, it's kind of like, well, are you just tech it? You know, like, is your whole game about kind of distilling the data from HS replay and making a deck out of it? Couldn't a robot do that sort of, uh, sort of thing? Um, and, and it seems as though magic doesn't have an equivalent, right? Like in the pro scene, uh, magic does a lot to keep pro, you know, it's like to keep like pro matches and, and kind of like ladder and stuff like that under wraps so that there's a lot less sort of like data immediately available to tell you this or that, or this other thing are the best or better in any individual situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I like it. You know, I, I also wonder if it's as applicable to magic because magic just has such like a wider pool of ways that things work right like the sets are bigger there's like three or four of them in play at any time and i thought I it was th- more than that isn't standard like s- i think six, it's like the, seven? the 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 last three sets and the, and the core set although it might have changed i don't remember i actually don't remember what it is uh i might be thinking of like extended which is like the last seven years or something yeah um, um, and you know, there's a variety. Of, like people play across across all sorts of different formats too. I, I think that's 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 another thing, right? Like because of like the way that physical magic works with like costs, with like real world costs. It's like you know, Hearthstone. It's relatively easy to build a deck if you put like you know. Yes, it'll cost you money. But, like, if you're building, like, the toppest tier magic deck, that's going to potentially cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Um, Whereas, and so, like, people play a lot more with lesser quality decks. And there's also a lot of formats built around the fact that not everybody's going to have a super competitive deck. And that makes up a lot of the magic playing populace. Like, if MTGA ever becomes, like, purely ascendant and is, like, the dominant way that people play magic, maybe we'll have more of these problems. Um, but so long as people are like mostly playing like Friday Night Magic and EDH, yeah, um, uh, or was like what's the other variant, Canadian Highborn or whatever it is. Yeah, like, isn't EDH the most popular? I think our I think friend of the cast Charles said that EDH is the most popular. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's called Commander in official parlance. Oh, I'm but, sorry. Yeah, Commander. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a Commander yeah. deck? I have several. I I bought like like each year Wizards puts out a Commander set, which is like one deck of each color. I think some years it's like one of each dual color um or you know some variant thereof with with specific commander cards that have specific commander powers that are only make sense in the you know there, there are cards that are specifically only that only work in the commander context right like they, they don't work in um they don't work in 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 uh in normal magic um and so i i have a set of one of those from a couple of years ago um it's one of the dual dual color ones um I also have, like, a couple of EDH decks that I've made, but none of them are coherent enough to work. Yeah, this I kind the... of, I mean, I, I haven't, I obviously, I haven't touched Magic the Gathering Arena or EDH since it got kind of folded into the Commander on, uh, like, ontology. Um, but the um, the pull of Commander that I always really liked was, like, finding those kind of, like, you know, cool legendaries that did neat things. Like, my commander deck used Rexiel the Risen Deep, who's, like, a six-mana 5-8 with Island Walk and Swamp Walk, and when it hit a player, you could, like, cast a sorcery or instant from their graveyard. And it's just, like, 
that's not a good card, but in Commander, it could be a useful card. You know what I mean? Like, those... And it yeah. was, like, about finding gems. Um, and I kind of always felt that, like, once they really started understanding Commander as a format and printing cards for it, sort of that magic got a little bit lost. Um, but yeah, that might just no, be like me. I think I think you're right. I think that's why Canadian Highborn is, is newly ascendant, which is another way of, like... Like EDH got too optimized, so they they've they've made a new format that you can't optimize as easily, um, and I'm sure that it will continue ever on, right? Like um, the thing about EDH and you know or it, about that format is that there are enough cards in Magic that even if you can't get four copies of the cards you want in there, you can get like enough copies of cards that are like have approximate effects that you can get like most of the way to what you want. Yeah. That was a big problem when we were playing EDH was like everybody had tutors, right. And you could tutor up, you know, shit from your deck all the time. Um, which I think was, you know, was good and bad in its own sort of, uh, its own sort of way. The other thing is that there's a lot of cards that are printed that do similar things. Like I once played against a guy who was a Simic sort of player. Um, and he was just, he was using a lot of mana ramp and, you know, it doesn't matter that you only have one copy of rampant growth because you have all of these other essentially equivalent effects to rampant growth that, you know, if you want to make consistent mana ramp in your EDH deck, you can. Um, yeah, that, so. that is mostly what I meant, right? Like, you can have cancel, you can have counterspell, you can have, uh, you know, like, there's like a, a like probably two dozen different types of counterspells in in Magic, and it, you know, if you have one of each, it's still a lot of counterspells, right? Like, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's it, it, Commander is not in MTGA yet, but I assume it will be at some point because it's too, it's probably too popular not to. Plus, you could sell more cards out of it, um, you know, more money for Wizards. Um, but uh, given that we have, like, 13-ish minutes left, do we want to move into Season yeah, yeah, 7? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Tell me tell me all about Season 7. Is that seven. is that where yeah. we are, Season 7? Uh, so I am right now at the very end of Season... I have finished Season 7, um, which means I am five episodes behind the lead. Um, when this goes up, it will probably be around the time that the new episode comes out, so I will... Not have seen that either, but um, uh, it would like uh, so spoilers for everyone at home for everything from Game of Thrones pre season seven, uh, or uh, so that's everything but this this currently airing season, um, uh, so yeah, um, I definitely think I agree with the sentiment that the writing is worse in the later seasons, like once they get off the book, uh, the books, um. <sighs> Like, people say that, like, Tyrion and Varys and Littlefinger aren't as smart in the later seasons. And I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think that, like, I see that point, but I think it's more like they just, like, aren't doing things as much. Or if they are, it's not, like, things that require them to be exceptionally clever to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I don't think that they have a ton of missteps. It's just that they don't have a ton of steps in the first place. I think that, like... Oh, really? Does... See, I think, like, Tyrion's battle plan whiffing in the first two episodes of Season 7 is a big deal. Yeah, but I think I think that can happen, like... That happening is a plot... Is, like, a, a, a fine plot point. This isn't, like, this shouldn't have happened because Tyrion is supposed to be smart, right? Like, okay, yeah. Um, like, that didn't feel bad to me, right? Like, I feel like... Things that didn't make sense to me were things like 
Tyrion apparently being jealous of Jon Snow when he's banging Daenerys. Um, uh, also, as as I as I live wrote to you, like Bran fucking describing why Jon shouldn't bang Daenerys, interspersed with footage of Jon banging Daenerys, is just like <laughs> bonkers to me. Yeah. Like I've got this. I've got this comedy version of Game of Thrones in my mind that plays alongside sometimes. And, you know, most of the time it doesn't happen, but sometimes it does. Like, I really wanted Bran's eyes to go white and him to, like, see Jon Snow fucking Daenerys and be like, oh, no. Yeah, Um, I remember at the time I was just so pumped because I just wanted them to fuck so bad. You know what I mean? I was just like, please get together. I just want the two of you to get together more than anything else in the world. So I just, like, didn't really worry about it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, um, so something that I, so as, as listeners at home know, I, I have been various, variously spoiled about different things. Um, like I knew that John was a Targaryen before Bran kind of revealed it, but I didn't know that um, he, that, that that marriage was, uh, was consensual. Like that was, that was a, uh, a you know, a, a wanted relationship, which is really interesting because it kind of like, on the one hand, like, all right, so I've got a couple things to unpack. The first thing here is it's interesting because essentially the whole reason that Robert rebelled against the Targaryens in the first place was because of that, yep. right? So, so you know, everything's a lie, right? Um, the parts that I don't like about it are like Ned apparently lying about that fight that he won against uh, Arthur Dane. Yeah, that's the like, guy that they fought with the two swords. Yeah, yeah, that feels like it tarnishes Ned a lot in a way that I'm not that I that I don't I don't like, um, like that that like you know Ned's whole deal is like he is he he you know that, that seems like you know Ned would not be so vain as to lie about how he beat Arthur Dane right like that, that just mm-hmm. feels weird. I'm also sad um, that he's not using ice in that, but that's also just like a like a lame criticism, I guess. Um, but yeah, like there was, there was like the, the, so again, this, this comedy version of game of Thrones, what I, what I kind of really wanted to happen was like them to bring the dead man into King's landing and it to get out. And it's like just an episode of them chasing after the Zamba, which I knew wasn't going to happen, but it's like the version that plays in my head. But then like, you know, Theon goes and fights the captain and like, Huh, it'd be funny if, like, he went to kick him in the balls and it didn't work, and that's how he won it. And then that happened. I was like, really? Really? But, like, that <laughs> level of slapstick? Like, what else? What, what else is there? Oh, um, how, how did, how did, I mean, how did you feel about the plan? You described it to Fellowship of the White, that you were that you were really enjoying Fellowship of the White to me. Um, yeah, it, it was more the... I really enjoyed kind of, like, the... Uh, like the the setup for it and the interactions between the characters, the plan itself like made sense, but like the actual way that it resolves was a little bit iffy, right? Like um, the bear. The first thing is the bear is like, did the the Night King raise a bear and just like tell it to go run around the yeah. north of the wall? Like <laughs> that's weird, but okay. Um, also, like you know the stood on that rock in the middle of the lake and then like how how long did they stand there for like how long did it, like i thought that like that that's really far away from dragonstone isn't it yeah like 
how did how long did it take Daenerys to get there and they really stand there the whole time and like you know I thought it was just kind of like weird like weird's the wrong word but not, funny. not even by the way they were being chased by whites at the time and and Gendry flew ran to Eastwatch a raven flew to Dragonstone and then Daenerys flew up right yeah yeah the, yeah okay uh so that yep that yep that whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> yeah also we call this, we, this is colloquially known in the game of thrones community as bad plan <laughs> because it's, so, it's just like it's like capital b capital p with a tm like bad plan tm because uh, and i and i agree with this criticism in the sense of like Absolutely no one should be trying to convince Cersei of anything. She is entirely ruthless and untrustworthy. Why would you ever kind of thing? Um, but, like, in a, in, a, in a very Game of Thrones way, um, the uh, – in a very Game of Thrones way, the different um, – I, I, I guess, like, it's like a trade-off a little bit, right? Like, those character interactions were so great, right? And I wanted yeah. to see – you know, Beric Dondarrion talk to Gendry, right? Or Jorah Mormont and Jon Snow talk about how Jon Snow has his, you know, like, ancestral family sword now, right? Like, and so it's, it's, it's like a give and take of, like, okay, that stuff is awesome and really great and really cool. Should I be willing to kind of trade, you know, the, the whole apparatus to get there in order to get it sort of thing? Um, this is the core thing that I feel like Game of Thrones hasn't sacrificed, and the quality of the show does go down specifically in season seven because of this, you know, like because of this maneuver. Also, a little bit in season six, it kind of starts bleeding in season six, and then we get to this point in sort of season seven. But I also think that people uh, like overestimate the amount that the show is like bad now. Um, like this is kind of the thing where it's like, okay, in season seven, it went from like an A TV show to a B TV show. Whereas a lot of folks seem to say it went from an A TV show to a fucking F minus zero negative a hundred, the most garbage garbage that is ever garbage. <laughs> like that kind of a thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I still think it's good. Even if, if even I don't think it's great, like on the plan itself, I didn't have too much particular issue with the actual plan because like you know there's a lot of like you know yes cersei's evil and lying and manipulative but like how like and a lot of that is visible to the outside world but like not all of it is right like um the thing that was really egregious is like Tyrion walking into cersei's room daring her to kill him daring her to kill him then realizing she's pregnant and somehow this comes out with a promise from Cersei that she'll mar- march north in a way that Tyrion believes. Like, th- this is the moment for me that's like, Tyrion should know, e- Tyrion should either know that Cersei's lying to him, um, or, I don't know, something else, right? Like, like, like th- that's, like, that's gotta be the answer. And to be fair, he could know. I haven't seen season eight yet. Um, also, it's mooted by the fact that Jamie apparently just walked out, which is fine like that makes sense to me right like that yeah that that certainly wouldn't be able to kill uh kill jamie um but like uh the other thing that like like you know 
Euron walking out of the meeting and being like, I'm just going back to the Iron Isles was really funny to me. I like that. But then, like, is the implication that, like, if the implication is she caught him before he actually left and made him change his mind, maybe I buy that. But, like, the idea that they conspired beforehand to do that makes no sense to me at all. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What, 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 you guys can say that? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I definitely feel like bad plan is bad, and I definitely feel like that meeting is, like, interesting, um, but also, ba- you know, like, bad in a sense that it's kind of, like, built on, like, a shoddy foundation. Um, I, and... I, feel like, I feel like a lot of this season was, like, oh, boy, all these characters who have never managed to interact with each other finally get to interact with each other. Won't yeah. this be neat? Yeah, I think I think all of the good stuff in the season is from the first four episodes. I actually think that Battle for the Gold Road is tremendous. Like it's really good. Um, where Daenerys and the Dothraki attack the Lannister army coming back from from High Garden, um, because I think you know it's one of those things where like the battle is an important character moment just as much as it is. Um, and and th- and this is my this is kind of my overall thesis on Game of Thrones and. Th- you know, not to talk about any of the season eight stuff because we don't know how it resolves yet. But like, this is my essential pitch for why I am a a fan of Daenerys, and I think Daenerys is like the ruler that deserves to sit like the Iron Throne. She is willing to listen to Tyrion when he lays out a kind of clever but also like noble path to victory. This is the way that we can unseat Cersei from power without compromising, you know, without just flying to King's Landing and becoming a tyrant ourselves and burning everything to the, you know, to the ground. We know Cersei needs to be removed. We know that she is an awful person and an awful ruler, right, who's willing to do really legitimately, like, ruthless and, like, fucked up shit, and we're not going to stoop to her level. We are going to, like, go about this um, as moral upstanding people. Okay, cool. That's, That's how Daenerys opens, and that's how the season opens. This plan immediately fails. Jamie outsmarts, you know, Jamie as a general of Cersei's army outsmarts Tyrion as the, you know, like the general of Daenerys's army. And Daenerys loses Dorne and loses the Reach and they get Casterly Rock, but it's useless or whatever. And Daenerys's response to this is like, okay, you know what? We did the nice guy thing. Today, I'm going to be fire and blood. And she gets the Dothraki on to, you know, like, she gets the Dothraki into the Stormlands and completely brutalizes that army, right? And in in a certain sense, she is, if, if you look at those two things kind of in, in isolation from one another, one of those is, like, the Ned Stark, Jon Snow way of going about things. You do it the right way, right? You do the good, just, noble, upstanding thing. One of those is the Cersei way. You do the ruthless, brutal conniving thing you know what i mean and that's what i like about daenerys because i think that you know the show has very clearly shown us the noble guys don't win ned stark gets his head chopped off right but also the ruthless guys tend to alienate their allies and get fucked up too right ramsey bolton dies joffrey dies right and so daenerys walking the middle path that path that says you know what Sometimes you're going to be Misa and you're going to be the breaker of chains and you're going to be moral and upstanding. And sometimes you are going to march a bunch of Dothraki and burn these people alive with your fucking dragon because 
you know, like there's a time to bring the hammer down. That's that's my big pitch for this is my big pitch for Daenerys, and this is why I like Daenerys so much. And I feel like if John or if Cersei were to end up on the Iron Throne, that would feel like you know, like that would feel shitty because it's like, well, if John gets the Iron Throne in the end, why the, like what is the lesson of Ned dying? Do you know what I mean? Like that that kind of thing. Like how do we make thematic sense of this whole sort of series? Yeah, um, I mean, we don't know any of these answers yet, obviously, but that's kind of like my whole, this is my big thematic pitch for the theory, this series. I also think there is a world in which Daenerys is like a, tra- a more tragic figure where, you know, it is obvious, you know, like where she is this capable ruler, but, you know, she dies or it slips from her grasp, you know. We don't know how any of this stuff obviously resolves, but that's my, that's my pitch. Um, and I think is the and and that's kind of what I think is like the core of the the core of the series. But I also think that Daenerys is a little bit of like a a, a hard uh, nut to crack in a certain sense. Some people look at her and they say, "Oh my God, Daenerys is such a fucking arrogant villain. She is just as much a tyrant as Cersei is. She's just hot enough to fuck Jon Snow, I guess, or or whatever, right?" And then there are other people who think that you know. Daenerys crucifying the masters in Marine, which is obviously the wrong move, right? And her leaning too too heavily on that ruthless side um, was like completely justified because they were slavers or whatever, and she has done no wrong, kind of thing. Like I, I also think some of those kinds of takes are, you know, it's it's tough to 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 thread the needle. Yeah, there, there there's a couple of things I've got there, um, and one one of them is is if. She was a little bit more conniving. I think I'd be a little bit more on board with her because, like, she's either noble or she's brutal, but not in like a like a clever way. She's just kind of like, I have the best stick, and I can use and I can use that to beat things real good. And that doesn't see like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like it's it's not like she outmaneuvered Jamie, right? It's that she has three fucking dragons, right? And, like, those are things that literally nobody can deal with except for, I guess, the Night King. Um, uh, you right. don't think, see, I think she does legitimately outmaneuver Jamie. In, I mean, in the sense of, like, Jamie clearly didn't expect to get attacked on the gold road by the fucking Dothraki, right? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, no, th- that, that's a point. But also, I would, like, this is maybe more me being a little bit too, too wonky, is, like, if it's just the Dothraki attacking the Lannister army and the Lannister army is shields and spears, the Lannister should probably win that fight, right? Like, you know, as, as any Total War t- player will tell you, pikemen set against ca- charging cavalry win. Um, it's actually not always the case, but whatever. We're just going to let that go. I, actually, I, I think the, the reason that it is not the case in this specific situation is because the lines were too thin. Once, you, sure. once, the cavalry, or once the cavalry broke through the lines and then it just kind of like caused fucking chaos. Plus you had a sure. dragon, obviously. Right. <laughs> like, and, you know, and if the fight had just been the Dothraki over what, like, you know, overwhelming the, uh, the, 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 the line, maybe I would have liked a little bit better. But a lot of it just seems to rest on, like, I've got a dragon. No one can deal with this dragon right now, so I'm going to use this dragon. Everybody's going to say f- – and everybody's going to, to, to suck it. Yeah, um, yeah I the mean, other- the, the other piece of I, – I think about it in a wider strategic context where – this actually reminds me a lot of a Cersei move in that I don't actually think – people talk about Cersei as, like, a plotter or a schemer. But I don't think that that's true. Uh, like, I was listening to a podcast where someone described – you know, Tywin is a schemer. Tywin is a spider who, like, lays these really intricate webs, right? And you don't realize that you are caught in them until you're it's too late and you're already dead. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. Cersei, she, her 
like the way that she wins is she is she is bottomlessly ruthless right she is always willing to expand the level of violence and brutality and cruelty and malice that the game is operating on right nobody thinks that she is willing to blow up the sept of baylor in order to in one fell swoop you know destroy this rival house and this in this enemy power that she herself like enabled I, you know but, what i but mean part, but part of that is that no one else knows that there are pots of like super fire beneath the sept no sure 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 but like i like and and when cersei tries to do scheming stuff she gets fucked right like when she tries to weaponize the faith militant to attack house tyrell right. it immediately backfires, it backfires. Upon her. Yeah, yeah. her whole thing is just i am going to escalate the level of violence outside of the realms of your expectations i am always willing to just be more bloody and ruthless and brutal than you are and and, and from that kind of perspective that's exactly what daenerys is doing right sure Tyrion's strategy is all about you know we want to siege them but we want to siege them with the dornish army and with the reaches army because we want to show them and we're not going to use the dothraki in this way because like we don't want them to see a whole bunch of and daenerys is just like you know what when that stuff fails i'm going to land my dothraki on the shores of westeros and i'm going to ride them into the Lannister army, and it won't matter how clever you are, Jamie, who is legitimately a clever military commander, right? Um, I, we are just going to brute, fo- we are going to escalate the level of violence to something that you do not expect and cannot cope with, right? And part of that is just having a fucking dragon, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, the, the other part of my, the, the, the thing I don't like about Daenerys is that um, she is a Targaryen, um, this is also true of Jon Snow, by the way. And, like, the idea of this concluding with a Targaryen sitting on the throne sits poorly with me because the kind of unintentional Aesop there is, you know, don't fuck with the with, with the, the correct ordained. bloodline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I, I do feel that way, especially about Jon Snow, since, like, if you follow all of the twists and turns, he is the true legitimate heir. So, like, yeah. if Jon Snow becomes king of Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms, it's like... Well, you know, like, we had this divine mandate that we just needed to get back to, right? You know, like, yeah. Robert fucked everything up. I actually think Robert gets a bad rap, to be honest with you. Uh, and he, he is he is a better king than he is given credit for. But, like, I, I, Robert I, I fucked think... everything up, you know, by, by unseating the Targaryens. And we had to restore, like, the true bloodline. So, yeah, no, like, I think Robert's an interesting character because, like, there, there's a couple different stories. Like, the, the first one I saw that told it really well was um, actually... Uh, uh, your citril will pierce the, that will pierce the heavens. Um, Tengu top, Toppinger and Lagan, mm-hmm. um, because like the first arc of that show, uh, spoilers for Gurren Lagan, is um, them kind of like uh, uh, like unseating the the Beastman government, and then the second arc is like a time skip, like I think like ten years forward, and like all these veterans are like high members of government, and most of them don't know what the shit they're doing and are doing a not great job of it because they're warriors, not politicians. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, like that's Robert's story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of, like, Renly's pitch, which makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like, 
you know, we need warriors during war, but we need we need you know men of the people during times of peace. Yeah, um, yeah. I and, people like to shit on Robert in like the Game of Thrones community because like he ran up the debt and everything. Um, but I also think that he, you know, he did rule over twenty years in the show yeah. of pretty unprecedented peace. You know, there was this huge explosion of a rebellion that he was at the head of, and he was able to, you know kind of swiftly and decisively win that rebellion seat himself on the throne and you know what i mean and stabilize the kingdom in a really remarkable way that i don't think he gets enough credit for i also like in the show that he is legitimately like a well seasoned military mind like that thing where he talks about the dothraki right like which is this bigger number five or one and then he does the five in the hand and then one is the fist or whatever and talks about the Dothraki. Like that's not something that we ever get in the books. Um, We, in the books, Robert really kind of, it just is like this bumbling, like whoring queen, but like he does have a legitimate political mind. If Daenerys shows up with Khal Drogo at the head of the greatest, you know, Khalasar ever seen, that is a real danger. And so assassinating her seems like a really, you know, savvy political play. Um, Because in the books, we only get this stuff through, Ned, who is obviously, you know, you want me to kill a girl, <laughs> like, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. We, it, it's, it's different, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this basically leaves me with like no good person to want on the throne, right? Cause I don't want a Targaryen. I don't want Cersei cause I'm not a fucking psychopath. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Gendry is like a child, even though I guess I could theoretically root for him. Um, and he's not like a child child, but he's like, you know, he's like a no one, right? Like he's he's not a person that, that's a good political leader. Um, and like, like Baelish was like, I would like to be on the Iron Throne, but now he's dead. So, you know, it's not like, I wouldn't have liked him, but I guess I would have chosen him because I at least think he's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, like, so you, you got to see me watch this in real, like you got to see me react to this in real time where I was fooled. Um, like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that was so a, was, that was honestly a really big contentious piece of season seven. Everybody was publishing these think pieces like, how can Arya and Sansa be this fucking stupid? And so when in the final episode it turns out that they weren't, they were just playing Baelish, right? Uh, it it kind of recouped a certain amount of faith, so, I guess I would say. So so part of this is that like they are like. They are very obviously not playing Baelish for most of it, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. working until it doesn't, and they don't show us it not working. Yeah. Like, because there's a, some stuff that happens between the two of them that is, you know, in front of no one else. And so if they were actually playing him the whole time. Yeah, that, time, like, thing with the dagger or whatever. When the thing with the, the fucking dagger is, like, what the fuck, Arya? Like, what the actual fuck, right? Yeah. Like, um, uh, but, like, I didn't see the twist coming. I thought it was well executed. It's it's weird because like I didn't see it coming until like fifteen seconds before it did, and I wonder if this is like a I don't know this is like a little like like it didn't take for Arya to say Lord Baelish for me to realize it took like the camera cutting to Baelish in the middle of that courtroom to be like for me to be like oh that's actually what's going to happen which you know you fooled me for most of it so you know mm-hmm. good good job uh, good good job show but like. I would have liked, like, maybe a flashback or something where they, like, discuss for, like, half a second, um, you know, what's happening. Like, you know, like, that, like, they realized it or whatever. It just felt like, 
it, it felt ass pulley, I guess is the right way to put it. Um, that's interesting. It felt ass pulley. Okay. Uh, I get that. I get that, I guess. I, it's, um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of in this position where I was always convinced it was a fake out. So I okay. get to be smugly right about it. And I, it's hard for me to be like, and so there's a certain sense of me being like, well, if you just paid attention to the clues, you know what I mean? But I'm not, but I also think that's unfair. Cause I think you're right. Like, the clues I was going on were really just kind of like, I can't imagine that these characters are this stupid. Which turned out to be correct, but it's not like real clues in a plot way. It's just kind of a like, you know, I don't know. It's like a... a it's like story sense. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's like a, a, I'm not basing that in anything real. There's no plot detail that I'm like, oh, well, the way that Sansa looks at this, or there's this conversation with Bran, but we don't actually hear the whole conversation. And maybe he says, you know, like, any, you know, X, Y, Z, any of these sorts of things. Um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But we've run over on time. We're going to be talking about Game of Thrones uh definitely in the future uh because it's ending soon and you're gonna be caught up and i'm very excited to have that i i'm yeah. i am excited to look at the series as a full you know what i mean yeah so what's the uh so the the current plan and this is subject to change if the stars don't align right is that next week will be john wick because the episode will come out after we normally record um um and we're going to hopefully do a midweek episode a bonus episode that's mm-hmm. me and buddy giving our thoughts and then we're going to try and like summon a council uh for the 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 full episode on the next week to do like a, a long thing on it yeah so uh i look forward to that but until then you can email us what you think about detective pikachu or game of thrones or magic the gathering arena or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast at podcast at simdosplaygames.com or simdosplaygames at gmail.com you can follow us at twitch.tv slash simdosplaygames uh, rate us and review us in places where all good podcasts are found. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.